The Old Testament comes from Zephaniah, third chapter, verses 14 through 20, page 860 in your pew Bibles. Sing, daughter of Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will, get, I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. The psalm is taken from chapter 72, page 532 in your pew Bible. Endow the king of your justice, O God, the royal son of your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as, the sun, as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. 
May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. The gospel comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18 on page 937 of your pew Bibles. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warn you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is ready at the, root, at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the throngs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing forks in his hands to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Let's pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. Well, happy Advent, everybody. As you just heard, there's a wild man out in the wilderness preaching hellfire. So, Advent is a season of joy and hopeful expectation. Okay, if that wasn't difficult for you, it was for me. How in the name of all that is true and right am I supposed to preach on a passage from Luke about the Advent when John is out there in the wilderness raising holy hell? and preaching damnation. Well, that's not exactly the Advent sermon that I had hoped to preach. And frankly, friends, as I stand before you right now, I'm nervous. Because I'm not really sure how this is going to come out. Uh, I started working on this sermon a week and a half ago. I was going to get it done by last weekend. Well, last Wednesday, I was 
still trying to get my head around these three passages of Scripture. Luke, Psalm, Zephaniah, the passages that were read so effectively by Corey and Tara. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get my head around them. I want you to know that we have a magnificent shepherd. We have called Andrew to be with us. And he, ha he went out of his way to try to work with me, walk with me, through the preparation of this sermon. I don't think I would have made it if he hadn't been encouraging. We exchanged emails several times. And uh, on Wednesday, when the thing blew up in my face, his email uh, was so encouraging, it gave me new energy to do it again. So I took another crack at it. And by Saturday evening, it was still a mess. And now I'd been working on the same material for a week and a half. So then, uh, in denial, Jeannie and I go off to our covenant group Christmas party. Had a great time. <clears throat> But while I was there, I was, of course, whining to some brothers, and they uh, said some very simple things that God used in my spirit. One of them said, hey, well, it's the same material, right? I mean, you've been working on this for a week and a half, right? Yeah. Okay. Just preach it. And the other one said, well, uh, you know, what'd you learn? I mean, just, you know, just share with what, what you learned. It's, it's, it'll be okay. Well, that sort of gave me encouragement until uh, one of them said, you know what Andrew told me? So here's Andrew again encouraging me through someone else. That he was so thankful that Kristen and I, the last, Kristen last week, me this week, uh, were really interested in trying to work with the scriptures. All of a sudden, Andrew's word through this brother suddenly made sense. So what I'm going to do this morning is simply going to walk through the passages and let you know what I have found and see what the Holy Spirit teaches you. So uh, let's start, will you? Uh, it would be helpful if you have a passage in front of you. Uh, access it in some way. Uh, if you're still uh, tied to a book and you need it in the, it's a page, as Corey reminded us, page 937 is where the Luke passage begins. Luke, seven, uh, Luke 3, beginning at the seventh verse. Now, of course, right off the top, John is very approachable. What are you snakes coming out here? Who warned you that you were going to get it in the neck? I mean, this guy is really approachable, right? <laughs> and then, of course, he, he goes on. Either bear the fruit of repentance... Or, in verse 9, you'll be thrown into the fire. So it's fruit or fire. So, here we are in Advent, the season of joy. And here we have John preaching judgment. Joy and judgment. How do they go together in this season? And what do they mean for us coming together? Like prophets uh, before him, John uh, warned the people that they should not trust their ethnic background or tradition would be their savior. That's what he says, right? I, God can make stones of Abraham, I, I can make children of Abraham out of these stones. 
Now, he is echoing some of the former prophets that went before him. When God has been asking his people, I want your heart. I want your heart. You see, God's plan for the world was that through Israel, he would bring restoration to his creation. But Israel, over and over again, had blown it. But all throughout the history of Israel, the prophets kept coming to the people saying, God doesn't want these sacrifices and all this ritual. They're simply portals for your heart. He wants your heart. So don't trust your tradition to save you. We want fruit, not tradition. We want fruit. And if there's no fruit, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's clearing the threshing floor. He's gathering the wheat and the chaff. He will burn with unquenchable fire. That's verse 17. Now, why were people coming out to hear that? I mean, that is not exactly an invitation. And yet people are streaming out of Jerusalem and the countryside to hear John. Why? And why is he out in the wilderness in the first place? If you're going to be trying to renew the people of God or, you know, the church, why wouldn't you be in Jerusalem or in the temple courts preaching and trying to bring restoration and reformation? Well, because John was toxic for the establishment and Jerusalem was too dangerous for John. You see, John had spoken out against the establishment. He had talked about Herod, who had been shacking up with his brother's wife. That eventually led to John's death. So no wonder he was out in the wilderness. People were after him. But also, he knew that if he called people out into the wilderness, they would begin to realize that he was calling people to a new beginning. And if he was baptizing people in the wilderness, he was symbolically saying, hey, you know all that cleansing you had to do to go into the temple? Oh no, you get it here, right now, out here. This is the real temple. He was telling that the temple system, as the people knew, was corrupt. God wanted their hearts. So the sign of a new movement, a renewed Israel, it was like symbolically starting the new exodus. And this is what got the people excited. Because they knew that they were still in exile. Yes, yes, some hundred years before they'd come back to Jerusalem from Babylon under Ezra, Nehemiah, they had begun to rebuild the temple, yes. But they knew they were still in exile because the pagans still ruled. Rome still had them under their heel. And the temple system itself was a laughingstock. Corrupt. Everybody knew it. Even Herod was trying to finish the work of his father, Herod the Great. If he could finish the temple, then he could maybe claim the title that his father had, King of the Jews. He wanted to become King of the Jews, and one of the things history said that the Jews, the kings of the Jews, they built temples. And John was saying, enough. And the people were realizing, yeah, we're still in exile. We want to hear about release from exile. And did you hear it? Did you hear it in Zephaniah 3? Quickly, 
Turn there, if you're in the Pew Bible, page 860. But Zephaniah 3. This is release from exile, return from exile language. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, Israel. Rejoice, O daughters of Jerusalem. For the Lord, verse 15, for the Lord has taken away the judgment against you. Verse 18, he will remove, in your version there, it says the loss of your uh, appointed festivals. In other words, the whole system of, of uh, sacrifice and religious practice that you had in Jerusalem was taken from you because you were off in exile. This translation says it will remove the disaster from you. Yeah, the disaster, that's what it was. This is talking about the end of exile. As on the day of festival, I will remove disaster from you. And why? So that you will not bear reproach for it. This, my friends, is forgiveness of sins. And this is what the people of God were desperate for. And they heard it in the preaching of John the Baptist. That the exile would be over. So what do I, what do I, need, what do I need to do? If the exile is over, that means Messiah is coming. So you see in the passage there in, uh, in Luke, where uh, at, the, at the bottom of the passage, where they start talking about, hey, hey, is, is John Messiah? And he says, no, no, no. But this is why they were thinking about that. Because they heard in his preaching and in his baptism a renewal movement that was going to bring an end to the exile, the return of their covenant God to Jerusalem, and the vindication of God's people. This was what brought them out to hear hellfire and brimstone. No wonder the Gospels speak of John as being the Isaiah that was to point to the Messiah. Because John made sure that the people knew that he was not the Messiah. The next one that was coming was going to be greater than he was. So wait for him, but get ready. Get ready. <laughs> I was uh, taken by the Psalm 72 passage, which is about the king. Now, we all know that the Messiah was another word for king. You do know that. Son of David. Royalty. We're talking kingship here. When Messiah comes, it's the new king of Israel. It's the king of the Jews. Yeah. So, in Psalm 72, there is this picture of the king. And the church in the early centuries quickly identified Psalm 72 with Jesus. And the people of God in the Old Covenant in that first century also saw 72 as sort of a picture of the coming Messiah. So what does Psalm 72 say? Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. Justice and righteousness, of course, mean the same thing. This is English. We're having difficulty translating the Hebrew, but it's talking about the same kind of thing, setting things right, living rightly. And then uh, the early church, the Gospels, quickly identified this psalm with Jesus. Uh, notice the part in, the, uh, in Psalm 72 where it says, the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. It sound like Matthew and the coming of the Magi. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. 
That's sort of what happened, right? We just saw up here this morning. Okay, he was having trouble staying balanced, but he was still bowing. (laughs) Praise be to the God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Does that sound like last week? Remember remember Zechariah's song? You see, uh, Matthew and Luke are echoing this psalm as they're talking about the coming of Jesus. Yes. And what I noticed in John's rant out in the desert was that list of things that he told the people what they had to do to get ready for Messiah. What were they? Things like sharing. Things like being honest. Transparent, being comfortable with what you have and not demanding, not using your power to manipulate or impress or oppress others. These are simple acts of everyday. John did not say to the soldiers, get out of the army. He did not say to the tax collectors, stop collecting taxes, even though they were terrible people. He said, no, no, no. While you are doing what you've been called to do, do it justly. Simple. Mundane. And yet, and yet, these are the kinds of acts that when they begin to permeate a society, change the whole direction and tone of the culture. Now, as many prophets They often say more than they know. And I think that's what happened to John here. Because as you know later, John was was a little bit confused about whether Jesus was really the Messiah. You remember when he was in prison and he sent his disciples, you know, are you the Messiah? And what did Jesus respond? John, look what's happening. The blind are seeing, you know, the sick are being healed, Prisoners are, are being, freedom is being spoken to the prisoners and set free. I think, see, I think John was thinking in the old way in which the people of God were expecting the Messiah to be, so that Jesus wasn't really acting the way that he expected. No, 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 no. Jesus was now taking Psalm 72 and changing it with a new understanding of what kingship, messiahship, what God's justice was all about. You see... God has not changed his desire to restore and renew his creation. It has always been and always will be through those who bear his image. That's us. God has called us to do acts of justice and righteousness in his name. And since the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit, we do so with his power. And so, although I think John didn't really understand these simple acts of justice, what he was really saying was, not only is it true that this is to get ready for the Messiah, but these kinds of acts of humility and kindness and love, these kinds of just acts, are also the way the king reigns and rules in the world. That's what the Gospels are declaring. 
And that's what struck me. Uh, since a couple of years ago, I have been struggling with the wilderness in which our culture, society seems to be ever more <laughs> becoming overwhelmed by. And I realize that my anger and my pain was a result of idolatry. I've shared this with some of you, and I don't need to go into it too, but I, I, have, I came to realize, and this sort of confirmed it in a new, fresh way, that my idolatry of the American democratic experiment had failed. My idol, to which I had put my trust that somehow American people and American democracy will move our nation and our country and perhaps the world forward toward greater justice and peace. And that idol failed. And of course, has always failed. <laughs> and yet in my own heart, I had been giving it much too much trust. And so the word to John to me is, Hey, Jerry, it's these simple acts of love and justice and righteousness, sharing, transparency, being honest. That's the way the Messiah rules. That's how the light comes into darkness. Did not the Messiah tell us that we are the light of the world? Well, he did, and that should scare you to death. It does me, except for the fact that he sent his spirit. And we can do this stuff. The end of exile means there's a new way to be human. Our big brother is the new humanity, and he has called us to be like him. And he has given us his spirit so that we can do these simple acts of justice and love that are so difficult right where we are, whether we're tax collectors or in the army or wherever. And so, uh, dear friends, John's preaching points to the forgiveness of sins. Yes, the end of exile. His preaching heralds the inauguration of a new way for us to be truly human in the small, sometimes hidden acts of justice and righteousness. Advent, which declares Emmanuel, God with us, right, is indeed a season of hope and expectation, a season which celebrates the fact that the project of cosmic renewal is, in fact, underway. In celebrating Advent, we get to remind ourselves that as we live in the power of the Spirit, we are engaged in pressing into Jesus' inaugurated new world of justice and righteousness, mercy and peace. So, let us do so, joyfully, with both joy and judgment together in hope. As we know, there is much suffering and injustice still to be undone.
We're now going to sing, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. And as we do so, as we sing again the retelling of the Advent story of Emmanuel, I hope that we may feel afresh the way joy and judgment are held together in the amazing grace of God. <laughs>